Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. To get you to engage in that fight. And if you disengage, if you take a moment, take a breath, and don't react because of the emotion. I mean... <sighs> in today's podcast, I speak with Robin Coat. We touch upon lots of topics that will have you wondering how she overcame all of her adversities. Robin states... Don't live your life for the approval of others. Live your life to the fullest extent of your potential. Robin, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you this morning? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Great. You're in a place that I I am inspiring to move to. Arizona. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and what's really cool, I know that where you're from, there's wildlife there, but I think the pigeons are more the wildlife in the city. Yeah, right. And as you can see behind me, there's photos that I take of the wildlife out here. And mm. I love eagles mm. because eagles are so, I mean, they're graceful and beautiful and right. they more symbolize transformation to me than anything. So I go out a lot of times in, in this Arizona heat and capture wildlife because I mean, what else is there to do but stay in the air condition or sit in the pool? <laughs> you know, last time I was in Arizona, I was at a friend's house and they went to work and I said, I'm going to sit by the pool. And it, it got a little warm. So I said, oh, let me go in the water. The water was hot. Yeah. Bath water. So I was like, wow, I had to, yeah, I had to go in, in, in the house to take a shower to cool off. It was kind of funny, but I loved it. It was just amazing. And when you when you run the water here too, it's crazy because the cold water is actually warm water. The hot water is very hot during the summertime. So there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of the things that I, I want to get into is is you know you've had adversity in your life, just like I have, and so many other people have. But you've taken it and and you've understood what it's done for you. You come on today. You, you're happy. You love nature. You love life. But it's been, you know, like I said, you've had adversity in your life. Yeah, it wasn't always like that. I didn't always love life. And I, I'm happy you do today. <laughs> well, I think it took a long time for me to get to that. It took until I was 52 to really begin to love myself. And mm. I think that's the bottom line is we forget how important self-love is. And through my journey, you know, starting out as a child, I had a lot of friends who had divorced parents and they were going back and forth between the two homes, but they seemed a lot happier than I was, but Mm. they felt I was lucky because I still had my parents together, but that dynamic in our home was never healthy. My mom still carried a lot of stuff from her childhood. My father was very distant and I grew up with parents that weren't really there for me that didn't really provide um, I mean, the stability as far as financial was there, but all the other stuff it was never there. You know, um, I I always tell people by the time I was eight, I kind of aged out mm. because my mom had a, a deep-seated need for babies. She had given up a child for adoption before my brother and I were born mm. years ago. And 
she never healed herself from that. So in a sense, I grew up without a mom. Um, She took care of everyone else's children because she had to fill that void. And of course, back then, I didn't understand that. It took me many, many years into my adulthood to understand that they are who they are. They are the parents who they are. And I've also had friends tell me now that they're the parents I needed Mm. because I had a lot of generational stuff that needed to heal moving forward because somebody has to be a cycle breaker. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's hard. Yeah. It's very difficult to be in that position because all you ever want as a child is to be loved. Right. And you don't know how to get that. So as you start your, your ascent into adulthood, you bring people into your life that aren't very healthy for you. And you, you don't understand that those relationships you form when you're younger go into your adulthood. and. It took a lot of time and understanding that the human condition is exactly what it is. Emotions, um, we get caught up in that cycle. And all through those years of growing up, I made a lot of mistakes. I got connected with the wrong people. I was pregnant when I was 17, had to uh, drop out of my senior year in high school, straight A student to basically failing and ditching classes because I had no idea what was going on, Uh, chemical changes in the body. Mm -hmm. And then um, my son's father and I broke up. And within amount of, I think it was four months later, I ended up becoming a rape victim while I was pregnant while I was pregnant and had no idea. Mm. So, you know, after that had happened, I came home after being raped and my mom didn't do anything. She didn't know how to comfort me. My father said I deserved it. So from that point on at 17, I kind of felt like I didn't have a voice anymore. Mm. You know, I uh, went through a lot of mental anguish at that point, thinking that this baby was a product of the rape. So I had intended to follow through with aborting this child, but then they gave me the news that I was four and a half months pregnant. So I couldn't do that. And I say this to this very day, I'm grateful for that because if it weren't for having that child, even at the age of 17, I would not be here. I would not be the person I am today because knowing what I went through as a child, and yes, there's a lot of other kids out there that have gone through a lot worse. Right. I've I've seen every form of abuse possible from ch- childhood. My son basically saved my life because every ounce of love I had, mm. I put into that kid and he saved me in every way possible because it taught me how to be strong. It taught me how to never give up, never give in. Anytime I would fall, I'd have to get back up because that was my job. I had a, a kid that depended on me. So... You know, I was very lucky with all the situations I've been in. You know, I married his father eventually, but then that was that was a horrific, horrific relationship because um, daily verbal abuse, daily sexual abuse. Um, he only hit me three times the whole time we were together, but again, that's three times too many. Right. And I've often said that if he had struck my blood a lot sooner, I probably would have fought back a lot sooner. That marriage ended at 20 because I fought back and he didn't like it Mm. and he left. Good for you. But I still didn't heal myself because in the middle of all of this, I actually lost another child that I had with him, my daughter. Oh, wow. Um, He took and put her up for adoption. So he didn't want girl children. And there's just so much. I mean, you're talking up to the age from 13 to 20. I was with this guy. And, you know, those are such young years. We don't even understand. No, we don't. At least we don't understand anything that we're going through. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even after I got out of that, I still made mistakes throughout the years. And I think the greatest teacher in my life, besides being a parent, um, is probably having to give someone permission to die. And to actually watch them take their last breath in front of you, it puts so many things into perspective. And I know I'm going all over the place. So if if I'm going too fast, just stop me. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, um, when I was in my thirties, I had already been to 40 funerals. I had lost so many friends and Mm. family members uh, in a short amount of time that I think I was being prepared for the situation I was about to go into. I married a man in my uh, early thirties 
who was the love of my life. Hmm. And um, within 17 months, he was gone. And he had, wow. he had died of cancer. And that was in 2001. So here I am today. And I still, I still love him. I still feel it. Hmm. But I think through his death, it taught me so much more through all of those people who had died. It taught me that life is a gift. It is. And, sure is. you know, even though we go through some of the toughest things mm. in life, the human spirit, oh, man, we are so much stronger than we give ourselves credit for. That's for sure. We don't realize just how much we have deep down in our, in our soul, in our heart. I'm really grateful that even though I've been on this journey for 54 and a half years, that it finally took me so many of these experiences and the self-realization, you know, when, when you look at situations, you're always the common denominator. It doesn't mean you're the bad guy. It just means that you have to take accountability for the things that you've put yourself into Mm -hmm. the things that, you know, we place ourselves in situations and, you know, when I lost my husband to cancer, I felt cheated. I finally had the one thing in my life that was just so amazing. Mm. Somebody who loved me unconditionally, someone that I would have done anything for, uh, gave my my son a great stepfather. and They agreed that we should get married before I even did. (laughs) So, I mean, the idea that, you know, we get lost in a lot of our emotions and I made the mistake several years after he died to get into another not so good relationship. Mm. And I didn't see it coming because my emotions clouded my judgment. And I spent another 11 years with somebody that was not good for me, was not healthy. Mm -hmm. Then one day I just woke up and said, what are you doing here? You've been down this road before. You went through this in your 20s. Why are you going through it in your 30s and your 40s? Right, right. And it just clicked. And I made the changes to get out of it. And I don't care what anybody says. I know that it's tough if you're depending on something financially. I know it's tough if you've been beaten down so hard verbally, but you've got to get out of it. You've got to get away from it because you can't live your life like that. That That is, oh, and here I am, the strong person who'd gone through all these things and everybody thought I was just this amazing person. I was living a great life. But I was right back in that same place, mm-hmm. being held prisoner again, that I allowed that to happen. And I've been, I've been free from that relationship for seven years. And Good for you. I was 48. I sold a house. I shut a business down. I was unemployed for two years, but I got my life back. Yeah. My gosh. You know? I got to tell you, Robin, you have said so much. I have a billion questions for you. <laughs> Go for it. I know I talk a lot. That's the no, professional that... broadcaster in me, you know? <laughs> there you go. But here's the thing, right? <clears throat> you talked about, you know, how your dad even said that you deserved it, right? Yeah. To be raped. My gosh, how painful is, is that when you have someone you should have a thousand percent trust in, and confidence in that they have your back. And, and he said yeah. something like that. So that, that had to be a devastating blow to you. But then, yeah. you know, your, your mom didn't know how to handle it, right? Now she sat on the couch, did nothing. Yeah, so by, by not handling it, she did handle it the way she knew how, by avoiding it. Avoidance, yes. Yeah, yeah, avoidance. A lot of people think like, you know, if I don't say anything, I didn't do anything wrong, right? <sighs> Meanwhile, that, that's the mistake. And, and then, you know, w- one of the things is, I, I think because of the abuse I had when I was, I was a kid, I got something super positive out of it. I wasn't really hugged as a kid, so I'm a big hugger now. Oh, oh man, I love to hug. I wish I could reach out and hug you right now. Give me a, give me a virtual <laughs> hug. Give me a virtual <laughs> hug. I'll take it. There we go. But here's the thing, right? It, it's, it's how we see things that happen to us. From the age of 13 to 20, you went through this this relationship with this man and you went through this abuse and you said he only hit you three times and you're right. Three times was way too many. Right. For me, I teach martial arts for me and people like, Oh, and I like to fight. I'll be honest. I like to fight. 
but I don't like hurting people. So I only like to fight with people who are going to be able to fight back with me. So it's more of an interaction where we're, we're both on common ground. Now, if I had to fight to defend my life, you better believe I will. But I teach people how to fight. One of the things that I never do and never have done is hurt someone on purpose. So I don't understand when someone, yeah, maybe they see red, when someone can actually abuse someone they claim to love. They, cl- they claim to love some part, someone, but then they hit them. And then even parents who say this, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. No, it's not. Because you're in, in, imparting two, two parts of, of pain. One is the physical pain if you hit someone. And two is the emotional pain, right? And the emotional pain is the one that lasts. The physical pain. Yeah, that scar never heals. Yeah, that physical pain is going to go away, right? Even if you go to the hospital, it's going to go away. You're going to heal. Your body knows to heal. Unfortunately, your mind takes a lot longer to heal. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a, a realization that all the people that abused me, I realized that they abused me because they were the abusers, not because I did something wrong. And I think that that's what it took you some time to realize and wake up that day after this realization that like, hey, wait a minute, I did this when I was in my 20s. Why am I doing it when I'm in 30s and 40s? And then the other thing I want to tell you is that you were given a gift and you're able to spend 17 months with a beautiful soul. Yeah. So to me, I see that as a gift. Yes, it's a loss. And of course, you can never get him back. But the memories, the beauty that he brought to your life will live forever, right? And Oh, that's true. Yeah. And even, even the pain that your first guy gave you will live forever, but it'll make yeah. you stronger, right? A lot yeah. of people, they, they don't understand abuse unless they've been abused, right? Exactly. And, and when we start to think about what we do with the abuse that we've been given, we have choices with that, don't we? Yeah, we do. We can break the cycle. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it. We can use our voice because for me, my voice was silenced at such a young age oh, yeah. that, you know, when, when I got into that abusive pattern with him, I couldn't tell anybody in the, in the family. No one knew I was pregnant with my second child. Mm. I, I went into labor at my son's first birthday party and nobody knew it. Oh my gosh. He, he lied and told everybody that I had some sort of bad reaction to a medication. And he took me to the hospital, leaving my son with my parents and my family at this birthday party. And we go to the hospital and I give birth mm. and nobody ever saw her. Oh my gosh. And, you know, that I kind of disappeared for like seven, eight, nine months. After this happened, I have no recall. And as you know, the brain will block that out. And um, I don't want to go back and find it. I'm glad it's gone. But uh, just one day, something happened. And I was on the phone talking to my ex-husband's grandmother. And everything just came out. Mm. This is what your grandson did. He took my daughter. He gave her away, blah, blah, blah. And it was the very following day that you know, he attacked me and I, I attacked back and then a day later he left. Mm. So the gig was up. Right. And, you know, I don't, I talk, when I talk about the abuse, I don't tell people, look, you got to fight back. You got to beat them up right back because that doesn't always work. Correct. Sometimes, sometimes that will make them even more angry and they will do something else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you can't allow your fear to control you and keep you prisoner because that's the only thing they have to control you is the fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and fear goes a long way. Uh, he's, he tried for so many years. You know, his second marriage was even worse than ours. And, and his kids got beat up in that marriage. Mm. You know, I was, my son was only two and a half when we split. So he didn't get to partake in the physical abuse. Thank God. Thank God, right. And, and my son has no contact with his father the last time. His father tried contacting him was back in October of 2015. Actually, it was earlier than that. Um, it was through a Facebook message. And he sent my son this big, long message full of garbage. 
which prompted me to write my first book, which, you know, because I finally found my voice after all those years. It's like, oh, oh you're going you're gonna to come out of the woodwork all these years later and try to tell my son and my daughter this crap. Mm. And I wrote a book about it. I put his little letter in there, broke it all down and said, here, here's, here's my voice to the world now. I'm not wow. going to be silenced anymore. And you have to find that space for your power. You do. You know, and I could never, there, there's been incidences throughout my life with my parents where I tried to build relationships with them and never happened. Mm -hmm. And I think the greatest gift, and this is going to sound so strange to people, but you know, when someone is on their deathbed and you want to just have it out with them because you have to (laughs) release all this stuff. Well, here, here's the cool thing, right? My father even tried to silence me well into his 90s, being not a good person to me, even though I stepped forward to help both my parents. Mm. And my father died last April. I made sure everybody was there so they could see him on video or come in and talk to him in the nursing home before he died. I said nothing until he died. When he was dead and gone, Mm. I came home. I sat in my room. And this was probably the most cathartic healing moment of my entire life. I sat here in my bedroom for two hours and just heaved all this stuff from my soul, just crying and having it out with him mm-hmm. because I know he could hear me. Right. Yeah. And it's a captive audience now because now he can't tell me to shut up. Now he can't talk to me because I can silence him and say, I don't want to hear from you, but you're going to hear from me. And I was able to purge all of that out last year that it just, I'm starting to heal that inner child finally. And here I am at 54. I mean, that's, that's a tough journey. You know, when you, when you start working on that inner child, I'm sure you are aware of that because of your issues as well. It is, it is so difficult to face all that stuff. But again, that's where we have to get past that because we fear what we're going to feel. And I talked to a lot of people about the PTSD moments of it. Mm-hmm. It happened a long time ago. It can never happen again. Right. So get that out of your head. It, don't, let, don't get focused on that. Whatever happened back then, you're an adult now. It's not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. So let's just face what you're dealing with right now mm-hmm. and, and get it out so that you can have your healing. Because if you stay stuck in that moment, if you keep reliving it, what good does that do you? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, you're, you're living in the past and it doesn't, your past is part of who you are. It makes you who you are, but it's not something that you have to live in turmoil for the rest of your life because it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's the past. It it can't hurt you anymore, you know? Right. But it can only hurt you if you keep replaying it over and over and over. Yes. Victim mentality. Instead of letting go. You know, one of the things I, I, I guess I'm fortunate, um, at the age of 18, I forgave and I, I forgave fully, not like I, I, you know, I forgive you. No, I fully forgave. And so for me, that truly opened up my idea that it wasn't my fault. I was abused, but it was not me. They were not abusing me because I'm a lovable person, right? And, but that's when I realized that, hey, you know what? It's okay if they don't love me. But the person who's looking back in the mirror, that person, that person loves me. And so I learned true love looking in the mirror, analyzing who I was, who I am, who I've become, and the power that I have to forgive. And, and that, for me, truly liberated me from that abuse mentality so yeah i'm open to talk about it but the whole thing for me is that it was unfathomable that anyone would hurt me that way Mm -hmm. and and i couldn't even think of it and once i let go of that and i said you know i i cannot understand why somebody abuses someone and and i i never will be able to and you and i no one can it's only that one particular person that can understand why they're doing it and so once i realized that man did everything open up for me i i was free to be me 
right? Now, and uh, even to today, if anybody tries to, because people abuse b- adults as well, they bully mm-hmm. adults, you know, and it doesn't matter the age. And it, it could be a boss, it could be a colleague, it could be anybody. It doesn't have to be in a personal relationship. It could be an acquaintance even who comes over and all of a sudden they start saying things that are wrong. So understanding that I have the power to allow only positive things in my life. That's, that was so freeing at 18 that, my gosh, my life has been beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I've had bad things happen to me throughout my whole life, but it's the way I handled it because of that. Right. You know? Right. So. Yeah, it's 90% of how you deal with it. It's 10% of what happens. And it's, you know, we, I see it so often and even my own mother today, I had to do a lot of forgiving. Mm. And because I've been the caregiver to my parents for the last seven years, and, you know, it's not easy to be in that position. But again, when it comes to forgiveness, people misunderstand what that means. They think that, you know, from what I've heard from a lot of people, they think you have to sit in front of that person Mm-mm. and tell them that. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. You have to do that inside yourself. Because if you allow that anger and all that stuff to take hold, then it becomes a physical manifestation. You wonder why people get sick a lot of the times. And it's because we hold so much of it inside Mm. that it has a physical manifestation. I never used to believe that. But in my last marriage with that really destructive, toxic atmosphere, I developed a terrible cough. Every time he would come home from work and just before bed, I would have like a 20 to 30 minute coughing Mm. spell. And by the time I was done, I was so exhausted. And I wouldn't, I, I didn't go to doctors because I was very healthy, but I said, okay, you know what? Now we need to figure out what's going on. They did every test imaginable. Mm. And the one thing the doctor said, well, maybe you have asthma or valley fever. They weren't sure, but here's the funny thing. I started realizing as soon as he left the house in the morning, that toxic air would clear mm. and I wasn't hacking anymore. And then the day I made the decision to end it and walk away that cough disappeared. It was such a heavy, toxic, physical, emotional atmosphere that I started taking on that physical attribute of a heavy cough. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything, but I had this horrific thing that everyone thought I was hacking up a lung. Mm. And it, it completely disappeared the minute I ended this relationship and got away from him. And it was like a light bulb clicking in my head. And it's like, wow, there is something to that whole thing about the energetic field of people you surround yourself with. And, you know, I've heard a lot about that kind of stuff. I always thought it was, you know, I was on the the edge of understanding it and believing it. But then Mm. with this last man, he was like, oh, no, that's all woo-woo stuff. That's garbage. Don't believe in it. And I changed my mind again. But now I understand there is a lot to that that thing about the energies around you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the four agreements are so important. That one agreement, I live my life by it. Don't take anything personally because it has nothing to do with you. Just like what you were saying, you know, you kind of figured that out a long time ago. Some of us a little bit slower to get there. But once you realize that a person's personal attack on you is really nothing to do with you, it's just them projecting Mm -hmm. onto you what's going on below the surface in themselves that they have not figured out, they have not worked through, you tend to take a different understanding. And I used to be the person that would save everybody. I thought I had to. I thought I had to be the guy to step in because, oh, I learned so much. I was knowledgeable. I, I, you know, I did all this. I could do this. I could help other people. Boy, was I so wrong. God, I was so wrong. You can't save everybody. You cannot. You can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm. And I held on to people because I lost so many people, you know, 42 people from the ages of 22 to 33 mm. that were in my circle, a lot of important people that I loved and trusted. So inadvertently, I hung, up, hung on to all the wrong people mm-hmm. for way too long. Right. And then... I mean, you know, you you end up with these negative situations, gaslighting going on, negative people around you. And it's like, one day you're just like, oh, I just can't take this anymore. I'm ultra sensitive to the energies around me. I got to be done. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I end up being more of a recluse than anything. I, mm-hmm. I work around people during the week, but when I come home, I shut my door, I turn on the tube, or I, I write. I, I do something to get my head out of that space of having so much energy around me. And here's the crazy thing. Even though I don't have a real relationship with my mother, we're living in the same house. Mm-hmm. But that's why when I come home, I shut my door. And I stay to myself because that's how I can survive, how I can stay in this mindset that's positive. I can't be around that negative energy because then it draws me back to that childhood. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to live there. I don't want to be there. No, you, that, that was in the past. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. She's, she's still there. She's still mm-hmm. in her past. She hasn't healed her past. And I've, I've tried endless things through the years because I can go out and speak to a crowd. I can write a book and share stories. I can blog things and help other people, but I can't help her because I I now understand I'm too close to it. And she never, she never got to know me as an adult, a young girl or an adult. She doesn't really know me. Um, we're roommates mm-hmm. for all intents purposes, and you know it, it. It works fine. I like I told her I've forgiven her for everything that happened, but that doesn't change anything. I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a bond. Right. This is this is as good as I can be for who I am in the present moment. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, w- one of the things, a bunch of things that we 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 don't want to overlook is the fact that you were raped right more than once but yeah that was a big one really yeah more than once wow sorry to hear that throughout my life but sorry to hear that that's a big one though that was a big one back then so just the the emotional turmoil that you go through and people don't understand what forget the physical aspects of it it's like we talked about before it's the mental aspect of it you know and the fact that, wow, more than once, I'm sorry to hear that. It's life. <laughs> Unfortunately, right? Yeah, it won't happen ever again. I, no, right now, I can not. tell you that. No, you're a strong woman <laughs> now. So one of the things that also came to mind is that you got rid of your kryptonite, right? Yeah. So think about it that way, right? That's why Yeah. when he left the house, the, the air cleared, right? Yes. Also, the the other thing I I need to ask you, because I'm sure a lot of people listening are very curious. You said your ex took your daughter away and gave her up for adoption. Have you ever decided to try to look for her? Um, I found her by accident on on her 18th birthday, just Mm. pure accident on the internet while I was at work. And I called my son and my son always knew what happened Mm -hmm. because after when he was old enough, I explained, well, you know why we celebrate with two sets of candles on your birthday cake every year, Mm. because your sister and you were born on the same day, just a year apart. Um, And I tried to get my daughter back after I split up with her, you know, with my children, children's dad. But um, at that point, when I went to go to a lawyer, he said, well, it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to be tied up in court for years. And you got to really weigh what you're going to be able to do. At this time, I was mm-hmm. left with a kid, a single mom, not getting child support because he took off. Right. And I was working four jobs. And I'm like, okay, well, let's. That was a hard come to Jesus moment in a way. I had to understand that by the time I got this child back, she could have been anywhere from four till 17. Mm-hmm. And as a person, how would I feel going in and ripping that child out of the only home she ever knew? Right. I couldn't do it. Mm. I, there's just no, you know, given the financial stuff aside, I would have worked forever to see if I could get her back. But I just had to make that decision in my own heart not to do that because I couldn't do that to another child. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understood what it was like to grow up in a home with two parents that weren't there for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me to go rip a child out of a home from the only parent she ever knew, what gives me the right to do that? Yeah. So I made that decision to let that go. And instead of, because it was all done 
very badly. He went to an adoption agency. I had no knowledge. They signed the paperwork. He took her from the hospital and gave her away. I had no knowledge of this Mm. for a long time. And my signature was never on any documents, which I never understood. Just because he was my husband did not give him the right to take this child away. But, you know, I was going to sue the adoption agency, but I made an agreement with them to uh, give me what they call a tubal ligation, which I permanently sterilized myself. I didn't want children after that ever again. Because again, I'm a traumatized woman coming Mm -hmm. from a traumatized childhood. So, of course, I'm going to make that decision. I don't regret it. But um, years later, I did find her. We had talked for several years, and I was told to be careful about putting stuff on her Facebook because her adoptive mom. Um, could not handle seeing stuff emotionally. Correct. That could, that could, you know. So, not, and I respect that. I respect mm-hmm. that. I would never do that. Apparently, she wanted to do a family tree when she was getting married, and we filled in some of the blanks for her, which I kind of wish I never did, because then she established a relationship with that biological father, mm. my ex-husband, and he told her a bunch of lies. Mm. He confused me and wife number two. Um, he said so many things, again, that were just lie after lie after lie. And that's when I started putting that book out. So I've never officially met my daughter in person. Mm-hmm. We, we were going to a couple of times, but that didn't happen. And then when I wrote this book, she became very angry at me. She thinks the book is all about her. Mm. She thinks her, I had no right to do this. And what I heard come out of her was like listening to my ex-husband. So I just, I looked at it like, Okay, well, it's either genetic, where that thing that goes on in the brain, she's got that chemically wise, or he's really gaslit her to the point where she she can't stand me now and she thinks this is what's going on. And October of 2015 was the very last time I talked to her. She said she pitied me or she used to pity me for what happened. And she doesn't want anything to do with me anymore, that kind of thing. And I didn't care. You know, I... As sad as this seems, I lost my daughter a long time ago, and then I lost her again. So here's where I stand with that. And, you know, people probably won't understand it, but with as much death as I've had in my life, I've learned how to cut my losses. I've learned how to understand what things are. And I understand that she doesn't get me. She believes what he says. And he was very charming. He was sociopathic, very, very well at gaslighting, gaslit my whole family before I even knew what that term was. Nobody knew what was going on behind closed doors in that relationship. As a teenager, he was living in my parents' house with me and he put a gun to my head and threatened to kill me. Nobody knew this stuff was going on. Nobody knew that he was sneaking in from this bedroom to come in my room as a teenager in high school to have sex with me while my parents slept in the other room. Nobody cared. Nobody was there. Nobody saw these signs going on. Nobody saw the abuse that was happening. And I can't expect her to understand because she was not a part of that. Right, right. So I've learned to just release her with love. Yeah, that, and that's, uh, that's compassion on your end, right? Even even from the beginning when you realized that reaching her would not have been done any good for her because, you know, like you said, you don't want to rip her from her family that she knew. No. And, you know, wishing her well, I think it's the best thing that you could do for her and for yourself. Because one of the things that we all have to do is we have to live the life that we have been given to the best of our abilities. Now, and I always say this, we all live in our own world. Everyone around you lives in their own world. It's like we have this little bubble. It's our world, the way we see things. Now, don't get me wrong. People may see things the way we see them as well, but not a thousand percent the way we see them, the way we feel them, right. the way we understand things. So everybody lives in their own world. Yes, we do share a world together, but we all have a world. We all have a destiny that we have to follow. Whether we know it or not, we are following it, right? And we can make changes to that destiny. We can make it better. We can make it better for ourselves and the people around us. Or we can just keep going with the status quo and just go with what everybody else wants us to be or do, right? So I think that by you letting go 
it, it gives her a chance. And, you know, they say that thing is, if you love something, let it go. If it, if it was meant to be, it'll come back. And that is all you can do, right? Yeah. And, you know, I've often been asked this question. What if she comes back and tries to be in your life? It's going to be like, you know, I don't know if I can even have her back in my life. I mean, it's, I understand that she's 35 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, there, there's nothing there. I mean, we talked for what, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, if a little longer off and on, but there was never anything established. And I understand that having gone through my same situation with my mother, I never had that bond and mm -hmm. I still don't. Right. And I can't expect that of her. That's why I say, I don't think she'll ever come back into my life. It's been since 2015. Mm -hmm. Whether she harbors all this anger or frustration towards me for writing that book, why would she do that? The book wasn't about her. She was just a minuscule part of that. But again, I had her telling me to silence my voice and I wasn't going to do that. No, I, there, there's one of my favorite sayings is, is I'm, I'm not going to silence my voice just to make you comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're uncomfortable for me speaking about things, then, I mean, that's on you. What's yeah. going on within you to, to be so uncomfortable? Do you have something that it's triggering? If so, then maybe we need to talk about that and work on that because that, I mean, you know, the biggest thing is communication. Oh yeah. It's huge. And people are just not talking about things. Yeah. Yeah. So Robin, t tell me, you, you wrote the book mm -hmm. and, and it was that, that letter or that post actually that made you decide to write the book. What happened once you wrote the book? What happened to you by writing the book? Well, the funny thing, how it all started, I actually started it as a blog on Facebook because mm -hmm. I wanted to I it was selfish. I wanted to share this with my daughter. Mm. I wanted her to wake up and see what was going on. So this was before the book was written. And it turned into almost like people jumping on Facebook going, well, don't leave us hanging. What happened next? Right. So I was journaling this stuff on Facebook in an open platform to over 3000 people. And they were egging me on every day. I was at home running a business. So then they're like, okay, what's next? What happened next? So I'm spilling my guts from 30 years ago, all mm. these things that happened. And when I finished, everyone's like, you need to put this into a book. Mm. I did that. And, you know, it's the most cathartic thing in the world to finally have a platform to put your voice on. Right. Because remember, you know, from a very young age, I'm being told you don't matter. Your voice has no place here. We're not hearing you. We're not listening to what you went through. Oh, well, you went to a party, you had a sip of beer, and you got raped. Oh, well, let's forget that the guy roofied you. And, you know, it's not your fault. But, you know, it was it was my fault. Because I went to this party at 17 and had a sip of beer. It was my fault. And there was such a level of freedom to putting these words down on on the internet, putting them down on paper, turning it into a book, and then going, what did I just do? I, I man, I had the biggest soul cry. Mm -hmm. For all intents and purposes, everything just came so far out of the gut. It was such a guttural release to be able to finally say, this happened. This really happened. This is my story. It happened. And when, when you go through the editorial process before you put it out and you reread some of the things that you wrote, you then get into that space of, there's no way this happened to me. How did this happen to me? Right. And who, why didn't anybody help, right, along the way? You know, if I, and it's, I had this, you know, when I put that book out, I had friends read it and they said they wanted to jump onto the pages and save me. Aww. That's how I felt. Yeah. As an adult, I wanted mm. to reach onto that page and grab that little girl and say, come on, we're out of here. Right. I got you. Mm. And, you know, I still wasn't done healing because that just, that just brings it all up. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, you're like forced with going through it again. And, you know, even today, there's some parts in there about my parents, but I didn't put everything in there, of course, because... They're still living. I'm still dealing with them. And even my mom today wonders why I didn't put the whole entire truth about her in there. And I explained to her, well, you have, you know, you get extremely emotional. She kind of has mental issues. So I didn't want to have to be that person that sent her over the edge with it. 
even though, you know, she wasn't there for me and I paid the price in so many ways of that. And I still had that compassion as a human being not to throw her under the bus completely and, you know, create that kind of emotional situation for her. Mm. But yeah, I think writing the book was just, it was very cathartic because now it's out there. And, you know, it's like you were saying earlier, we all have our lives. We all have our story. And some people may not remember the version they played in your story. Their version in their head may be quite different than what you remember it to be, but that's okay because you don't need their validation to know that your story is true. You don't need them to say, oh yeah, I forgot I did do that. Or that's not true. You're lying. I mean, because my own brother told my aunt, two years ago that my rape never happened. Mm. It's like, how the hell do you know my rape never happened? Right. You know, how? Uh, all these years later, you have the audacity to say that that didn't happen? Yeah. I mean, if you see when I talk about it, the tears still come. Right. I'm not living in my trauma. Some people think because I cry about that, that I'm still living in that trauma. I'm not. I'm healed from it. But that doesn't mean that my tears still won't come. You still have emotional about it, of course. Yes, because that's part of the soul attachment. That's Mm -hmm. part of the story. That's part of what we go through. And like you said in the beginning, abuse victims know one another when we look at each other. There is that thing that we can look right past and see into your soul. And we know you've been there. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a camaraderie. No. <laughs> but it is, a, but it is in a sense. We understand. We know. Yeah. We see. We feel. We understand that energy. Yeah. No. No one can understand until they've gone through something, right? L- let me ask you a question. When did you decide that you were going to help other people who've gone through similar traumas, who have been victims and maybe still are victims, and are looking to get out of that victimhood? to come clean, to live the life that they were supposed to live. At what point did you decide to become that transformational coach? Well, it's really strange how that happened because you would think after going through all this domestic abuse and all this stuff and rape and everything that I would have decided that a long time ago, but that wasn't even what started it. Mm. Um, (laughs) I ended up going to a dentist to get some work done. And this dentist actually closed up shop in the middle of everything that was happening and left me. This was after my husband died. So here I am trying to reestablish my life and get back into the game and take care of myself. And I'm like going through this where now I'm left in a state of disarray with my health because of what this dentist did. So I actually went to my fellow people in the media and did an interview um, about what happened. And all of a sudden, one victim after another was coming forward. And then it turned out we had 35 victims from the dental fraud that happened. Mm. But then the attorney general took an interest. The attorney general came forward and found out there were another 35 victims from a land fraud deal mm. that were mixed in with this dentist. Wow. And I had to take on, it was pretty a pretty big fight for three and a half years. And a lot of these people got ripped off. You're talking 50, 60, 70, 80, $100,000 from the dental fraud. Mm. And here I am just getting ripped off of 10 grand. But I'm like, you know what? I just lost my husband. I had to tell him it was okay to leave. I pulled the plug. I let him die. And here I am. Now I'm faced with all this and I'm not the only one. Right. And I'm none of these people wanted to fight. They were so afraid. And I'm like, why are you guys afraid? This is just somebody who ripped you off a lot of money. So I got bit really hard by that experience. And like I said, it took three years. We got the one guy in prison for 11 years. The one guy got in jail for a year, lost his license. We all got our loans forgiven, but it was a huge battle Mm. going to dental board hearings, going in front of the media and being interviewed, going in front of the court and here, here's the sad thing. Out of 70 victims, only one person showed up to give a victim statement, Wow! victim impact statement, and it was me. My goodness. And I made sure and the, the convict, oh my God, the guy that, that started the whole thing, he tried to tell the, the judge to give him a lenient sentence. This was his second crime. He had already spent 10 years for the same exact crime. Mm. So he committed it again once he got out. And I believe in everybody having a second chance, but when you do the same exact thing. <laughs> you didn't learn. 
and he didn't learn. And he's up there telling the judge that he's got cancer and he should get out of prison early so he could die at home or take care of it. Oh, oh, that was the greatest moment of my life because for 15 minutes, I really ranted and raved. I'm a widow. I just lost my husband from cancer. This guy's a con. He's a con artist. He's proven that he's going to get out and do the same thing over again because he didn't learn. You know what, judge? Give him the maximum sentence. Mm. And if he dies from cancer in prison, at least he'll be someplace where he can't hurt anybody. And then he'll save taxpayers money because he'll die in prison and we won't have to worry about him. They gave him the maximum 11 years. Mm. But out of all the victims, out of 70 people, I'm the only one that showed up and did a victim impact statement. And I'm like, where is everybody? And and I'm I'm like, you know, fight for yourself. So that's kind of what started me on that that victim's advocate thing is, mm-hmm. you know, somebody has to show you sometimes they have to lead you out of that darkness into the light and say, it's okay to use your voice. You know, we don't have to, I mean, look at the me too movement. Look mm-hmm. what happened with Harvey Weinstein. Even, even finally with, with Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. God, God, believe, I mean, that poor kid, all those years in Hollywood, no one believed him. They looked at him like an outcast. Finally, Finally, in the last 10 years, he's gotten so much done for children and being able to go back into the past to prosecute people that have done bad things to children. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to encourage others to have a voice. And I, and I know fear, fear is a scary thing, but, but you got to get past that fear. And I think as long as you have one person standing next to you, holding your hand, saying, I got you, that's going to help because then it's you know, you have to have those people standing by your side to fight with you, even if it's just someone standing there holding you up, right. being silent, being that person to support you. So that's why I do it, because I'm tired of being silenced. I'm yeah. tired of not having a voice. And I found my voice and I will never be silent again. Awesome. That's good for you and good for everybody who, who seeks your help. You know, that's, that's amazing. I appreciate you doing that. And it takes courage, even on your part, you know, to step up for other people, to, to help them find their voice, because you found yours, obviously. Talking about voices, right? You also have a podcast. What inspired you to create your podcast? And tell us the name of your podcast, please. Well, I'm a broadcaster, so okay. I've been doing this for 34 years. Mostly I was a DJ, and I never wanted to do talk radio, but... Right. I became a podcast and video cast producer four years ago. So I would guest on a lot of these podcasts as well because I'm directing them and, and producing them. And I decided to do my own a couple of years ago. It's called Get Real with Robin. And we talk about subject matters that people don't want to talk about but mm-hmm. need to hear. So in the beginning, it wasn't really me that wanted to do this. Um, I was co hosting another podcast with someone and it had finally reached an end because she was trying to silence me and take control. And I'm like, you know, this, this just isn't working for me anymore. And then it changed. It wanted, she wanted infomercial versus mm. a real podcast, you know, like I wanted to do. So um, she said the things I wanted to talk about were doom and gloom and that we really shouldn't talk about it. Again, the subject matters we shouldn't talk about. Mm. So I just decided, you know, out of nowhere, it hit me. Okay, well, here's how it's going to be. I don't allow anyone to come on the show that thinks they're a guest. If we do an episode, you're a co-host. You're my equal. Mm. You bring just as much to the table, if not more than I do. You have the freedom to say whatever you want. It's a conversation. If you want to ask questions of me, you're welcome to. We talk about different subject matters, and, and I call it the collective, which is anybody that's doing things in the world, movers, shakers, difference makers. Um, we've had everybody from uh, you know people talking about, I have a friend who was a former police officer that um, he was the only one that lived in the Crown Vic that blew up. So he was very instrumental in uh, getting the retrofits done for the the cars for the police officers in the future. So he goes out and he publicly speaks to in, in, you know encourage people to look past their experiences. I mean, he was burned over forty percent of his body. Mm. So he's made a wonderful life for himself all these years later in helping other people, inspiring them. Um, I've had people on there talk about suicide and how they how they've managed to come back from their own bouts with that mm-hmm. to um, even a lady whose son committed suicide nine months after her son did that. She was 
gracious enough to share her story on the show and talk about her walk through that while she was still going through that grieving process. You know, it's just, it's a place for people to feel that they don't have to hide anything. It's, it's a comfortable atmosphere where no one's going to tell you that your story isn't worthy, that you're not worthy of sharing it. Mm. Because again, it just all comes from the point of, I'm tired of people shoving things under the rug. I'm tired of people not allowing others to be in that open space where they can not only speak about what they've been through, but be able to purge it in order to help in that healing process. And the cool thing is, is you don't know who's going to be listening to it. That's right. (laughs) Nowhere in the world do you know. And, And I hear, you know, this is what I tell everybody, no matter what you do, whether you're writing blogs, whether you're doing a podcast, a video show, if you don't get any people actually contacting you and telling you what you're doing is making a difference, don't stop doing it because you feel that you're not making a difference. Because once in a while, you're going to get a private message. You're going to get an email. You're going to get a comment out of nowhere that's going to tell you that they heard something, they saw something that you wrote, that your story resonated with them, that that it makes them feel better. I don't live for those accolades because I think if we put too much, there, there's too much now with Facebook and Instagram, you have to have so many likes to feel important. Yeah, exactly. you, you, you really don't need that. All you need to know is that if you're doing something from your heart and your soul and you're putting it out to the universe, a lot of these people aren't going to download your show. They aren't going to comment because they're not in that frame of mind. They just, they're listening, they're watching. They're getting something valuable. So just understand that when you put it out there, it's making a difference and you don't need the validation to know that you're making the difference. Just do it, put it out there, release it to the universe, let it do what it's meant to do. And mm-hmm. that's, and, and I'm not the kind of person who, um, since I produce all these types of shows, I don't put out my podcast very often. I do it once a month or twice a month mm-hmm. because it's hard for me to be in that space on a weekly basis, releasing shows like this, because we really get down dirty and raw on a lot of these. And <laughs> I, I bear my soul many mm. times. I mean, there's no skeletons in my closet anymore. Right. I mean, you know, between the book and the show and the blogs, uh, I don't think there's anything anybody can come at me and say, well, you never told us this. It's like, well, my soul has been splayed open. I mean, it, it, if I can't do that to myself, then why would I ask someone else mm-hmm. to do that? And, and, and here's the funny thing. It, it takes it all back around to that rape at 17. I went to Planned Parenthood. And when I was looking at getting that abortion, they sent me to a, a center against sexual assault for a rape counselor. And the rape counselor who sat across the table from me, I will never forget this conversation. She looked at me. She goes, I know how you feel. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been raped? She said, no. I said, are you in my head or in my heart or in my body or anything? She goes, no, of course not. I said, then how dare you sit across from me and tell me you know how I feel? I said, first of all, you're so full of it because you don't know what it's like to be violated. Mm -hmm. And I've always taken that with me from the age of 17 that we've all gone through things in our life. We can relate. I don't know how you feel about what you've been through unless Mm -hmm. you tell me how you feel. I'm not in your head. I'm not in your heart. I don't understand all the crap you've had to endure. I can listen and understand and relate. You can have empathy. To what you've been through. Yes. But you can never tell another human being, I know how you feel. And people do that all the time. And what they don't understand is when you say that to somebody that's been through something, I mean, they... Yeah, I had that happen when my husband died. I had another woman say, I know how you feel. My husband died too. It's like, no, 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 honey. I can relate to how you feel. I lost my husband too. You never, I will never say that to anybody in my entire life. I know how you feel because that is, and it it sounds so demeaning to me because you're dismissing that person and their experience by saying, I'm taking this on myself because I know what I went through. Mm. No, 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 no. That's why I love what I do with Get Real because I share me Mm -hmm. and I let you know it's okay to share you. 
And I'm never going to put you on a hot seat and say, all right, let's hear what you've been through. Let spill your guts. It's like, you know what? I'm spilling my guts because I always open the show. I never introduce myself because I don't have to. Mm -hmm. The show opening does that. So you don't need to hear I'm Robin here with this show again, because you already heard that. So we go right into me reading a few paragraphs that are relatable to an experience and then I talk about the guest, or should I say co-host? It's not a guest. <laughs> I always want that person to feel like they have that platform to say what they need to say, to get it out there, and for it to be cathartic for them. Because what's the point in doing this? I mean, you see me this whole time. I, got, I prepared this time. I grabbed Kleenex <laughs> ahead of time. The last time I did a show like this, I, was, I had you know snot running out my nose. It was not pretty. So I'm like, you know, well, this thank time you for, gonna... for, for preparing for my show. Right. I you. <laughs> right. Well, because because you never know what's going to come out. Right. You know that Yeah, you're being honest. And, and that's, you know, that, that's the whole thing that, you know, social media has taught so many people that, hey, it's OK to hide behind things. It's OK Ugh. for you to be fake. But it's not, you know, because the, the person that you truly lying to is yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking earlier about being honest, it's the most important person you have to be honest with is you. It's that person that looks back in the mirror. That's the person I worry about. I don't worry about anybody else but the person who's going to look back at me. And that's me. And I have to be totally comfortable with my actions, the way I, I behaved yesterday, the way I'm I'm going to prepare for today the way I'm looking to my tomorrows. But it's me. That's the only person I worry about, that I make me happy. Because to be honest with you, other people can please me, but they can't make me happy. It is mm -hmm. me. It is the, the thoughts that I have that can allow me to be sad, angry, all these different things. Since the age of 18, maybe a little earlier than that, no one has ever seen me angry. I don't get, I don't th wow. throw things. I don't get crazy. And people are like, you're like calm. I'm like, yeah. Even last night, I had some of the students trying to choke me out. And I had somebody <laughs> really going for it. And they were like really going for it. And, and one of the students said, and they call me Sifu. I'm his teacher in Chinese. They're like, look at Sifu. And everybody's like, what about him? They're like, he's calm. He's relaxed. He's not even sweating it while he's being choked out. And I'm like, why should I? I said, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, but the whole thing is, and we have to think about that too. When, when someone is trying to hurt us, it's how we interpret that. Is it us that they're really trying to hurt? Or is it that they don't know how to express themselves, right? Because a lot of that mental anguish truly comes from the way we interpret what's happening mm -hmm. all everybody has is their actions and with every action there's a reaction right yes so how do i act how do i act to what you've done to me how do i act to what they've done to me that is the kind of person i am that's the person that i'm not looking to impress anyone the only person i am looking to impress is me no one else matters. You know, you, you speak such truth right there. And, and it's, it took me many years to understand the whole action, reaction, reaction thing. Mm. And because as a human being, we really want to defend ourselves. We do. When we're under attack by somebody, we really want to defend ourselves. So then we react. And it's taken a lot of work. I mean, I've had, we all fall back. I mean, not you, of course, you've got this one figured out. Mm. But, you know, we, there's sometimes where we just fall into it and then it's like, oh, oh no, not again. Mm. And, you know, gaslighting is a perfect example because that's exactly what they're doing. They're throwing things at you because that's their own trauma that they're dealing with, their own garbage below the surface they haven't worked out. So they're throwing it at you to get you to engage in that fight. And if you disengage, if you take a moment, take a breath and don't react because of the emotion. I mean, I have this with my mother, mm. you know, there, there, a month, a couple months ago, she said a few things to me that were just extremely nasty and derogatory to pull me into a fight. And I finally realized 
you don't need to defend yourself anymore. Just understand she's an old lady. She doesn't know you. She never knew you. Mm -hmm. She's going to throw everything at you, but the kitchen sink to engage you in a fight because number one, it gets her attention and makes her feel good about her own victim mentality. And then she's just projecting her own garbage onto you because she hasn't figured out how to work it through. And when I, when that light bulb went off above the head, I'm like, Mm. okay. And then she tried it again last week at dinner. She started talking negative about my son. And I said, nothing. Mm -hmm. I took my food, finished, got up off the table. And then she started to engage in a different conversation to get me to talk because she knew she wasn't going to get me to fight. And you just, you just have to be in that moment. You have to realize the surroundings, what's happening. And you just have to pull back. It's that simple. Just take a breath and don't react. Everybody, everybody throws their bait out there to see yes. what, what you're gonna, <laughs> what are you gonna bite on, right? Yeah, and and it's it's that important thing that if I take the bait, I just lost my power. You took my power, and at the age of eighteen is when I realized that hey, no one can take my power. No one. Oh my God! I wish I had that at eighteen, dude. Half the stuff that happened to me <laughs> when it happened. Right, but you know what? <laughs> Listen, here's the key. You found it, no matter what age. Yeah. And, and you're doing the great work of helping other people find it, too. Not, not too many people can do that, right? So, Robin, I want to thank you for today. My God, so inspirational, the fact that you went through so much turmoil in your life. And, but you could have been just a person that just mirrored everything that happened to you and gave it back out to society. Yeah. But you've made a difference where you said, you know what? I'm not going to mirror. I'm going to break that mirror. I'm going to create something better, something for me, but also something for other people that can, I can help them see themselves for who they truly are, the beauty that we all have inside of us. Right. So I want right. to thank you for today for enlightening us and, and, and sharing with us, you know, and, and openly sharing, you know, the trauma you've been through. And and I'm so happy that you found you. So Me you for, too. Thank you, thank you for you. <laughs> thank you. I just love your smile. I finally got to see it. Oh, oh come on. I love it. I love it. I, I love it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And yours, you have a great smile as well. And like All I said, that great dental work, you know? That's it. That's it. <laughs> and like I said, one day we're going to be neighbors because I'm going to move out to Arizona. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Good. Look me up when you get here. Absolutely. Before then. <laughs> uh, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Have an amazing day. and I look forward to uh, our connection. You got it. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Thank you and I really appreciate your help.